Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Sojourn. Glad that you're here with us this morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at the church and uh, just grateful to be able to gather together on this nice spring day that we're having in the middle of December. I uh, hope you're enjoying that as we uh, continue to celebrate Advent together. As Evan reminded us this morning, that's the season that we're in. That's what we're talking about over these next few weeks. And so it's just good to be together this morning to open up God's word together, to sing songs about that, uh, and just draw our hearts and our minds' attention to the reality of the fact that Christ has come. And so this morning, we're going to be preaching from the Bible as we do every week. And so if you need a copy of the Bible, would you just raise your hand this morning? We'll have a few folks bring a Bible around to you. We'd love for you to be able to read along with us this morning. And just know that if you don't own a copy of God's Word, of the Scriptures, we'd love to give that to you as a gift. So feel free to take that home with you today. We're going to be in the book of Luke again. We were in Luke chapter 4 last week. We're going to be in Luke chapter 4 this week. And so you can go ahead and flip open to that. Uh, And as you find your place, we'll kind of jump into this this morning. You know, something I've been thinking about this week is the fact that freedom uh, in in this country, in our lives, is something, and not, not just in our country, but really the whole world, is something that people universally Love. We all love freedom. Our, our country itself was kind of built on the notion of freedom. We are the land of the free, the home of the brave. We talk about free speech and religious liberty. We have schools named freedom. We have songs about freedom. We have songs called freedom, whether it's Jimi Hendrix, Rage Against the Machine, or Pharrell Williams' newest song, Freedom. Some people we knew when we lived in Louisville, Kentucky, named their youngest son. His middle name was Freedom because he was born on the 4th of July. And we can, we can come up with all kinds of different definitions of freedom. When we look up the definition of freedom, there's three different definitions or, or, or things that we can attach to that. It's the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. That's what freedom is. It's also the absence of subjection to foreign domination or despotic government. And lastly, freedom is the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. And we can understand those definitions. And because we know what freedom is, we realize how important it is in our world. Why people long for and love the idea of and the experience of freedom. We, we want freedom. We need freedom both in our culture and society and personally as well. Well, as we jump into this third week of Advent, we are celebrating the arrival of Jesus as he came first to dwell among us as one of us, but we also long for and look forward to the return of Christ, our King. And through this series, we've been trying to answer the question, why did Jesus come? What did Jesus come to do? Last week, we said very simply, he came to make all things new. And one of the ways that he came to do that was by walking in the wilderness, being tempted by Satan, our adversary, the enemy, and overcoming and resisting that temptation. And because he did that, you and I, if we are in Christ, are able to overcome, able to resist temptation in our own lives. He walked the wilderness road all the way to the cross for us. And that's good news. That's amazing news. That provides great hope for us, for you and me here and now. But that's not all that Jesus came to do. Another way that Jesus came to make all things new is by proclaiming freedom to us. And that's good news in a world that loves freedom. But what we'll see this morning is that the freedom that Jesus proclaims is different than what the world wants. It's better. Because The freedom that Jesus proclaims and brings is true freedom, lasting freedom, ultimate freedom. And so I hope that we are all encouraged this morning at the preaching of God's word. So before we open up to Luke 4 this morning, let's pray 
and ask God to bless our time in his word this morning. Father, we give you thanks that we can come this morning, that we can sit in this place, that we have the freedom in this country to sit in a public school and preach about Jesus. Lord, there are many brothers and sisters in the world right now that do not have that freedom. And so, Lord, we, we rejoice in that. We give you thanks for that. But we pray this morning as we look at Luke 4 that you would help us to understand the freedom that we're offered and given in and through Jesus. And that would give us great hope, great encouragement today, not only today, but throughout the rest of our lives. So, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would work this morning. I pray that you would work in and through the preaching of your word, that you would bring that encouragement, that you bring change, that you bring freedom today. Lord, I pray that even as my voice is weak this morning, I pray that you would overcome that, that, that your spirit would work in this time in a powerful way for your glory and for our good today. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. I do have a little bit of a cold, so hopefully my voice will hold out for this time. Maybe a shorter sermon today. We'll see. <clears throat> Go ahead and flip over to Luke chapter 4. We were in Luke 4 last week, so we're going to pick up right after where we left off last week. So we're going to be in Luke 4, starting in verse 14 this morning. I want to read the verses we're going to preach on today, and then we'll dive into it. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14, the author, Luke, writes this. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You know, we saw last week that Jesus just overcame the overt and strong temptations that Satan threw at him in this desolate wasteland. And we saw last week the Spirit led him into the wilderness for the purpose of Jesus being tempted in every way that you and I are, yet without sin. He didn't succumb to those temptations. The Spirit led him into the wilderness, and we also see here that the Spirit leads him out of the wilderness. He's been hungry and tired and alone for 40 days, and now he returns to civilization to begin to engage in the ministry that the Father sent him to do. And the fame of Jesus is beginning to spread. Who is this man from Nazareth? There's there's something different about him. Right away, we see that Luke points out the fact that one aspect of what Jesus did was that he was going around teaching and preaching And his teaching and preaching was becoming more and more popular. The synagogue was central to the Jewish life. And so we see Jesus going into the synagogue, and that's where he's doing a lot of this early early teaching and preaching. And the synagogue was the gathering place of God's people, where they sang songs together, where they prayed, where they heard God's word read, where they heard God's word preached and taught on, very much similar to what we do here on a Sunday morning as God's people. Jesus is traveling around Galilee teaching and preaching. And in this scene, what we see is, is that Jesus returns to his hometown. 
He goes to Nazareth, this little podunk town in Israel, and he goes back to the place to these people that know him. And one aspect that was normal in these gatherings was to have someone stand up and read from God's word and then to sit back down and teach the people on it. And as Jesus goes to his hometown synagogue, he's surrounded by all these people who know him, people who have seen him literally grow up from a child into a man. They've probably interacted with him on a lot of numerous occasions in this town of Nazareth, maybe even purchased things from him and his father in their carpentry shop. And as he returns to this town where these people all know him, there's a, there's a buzz about Jesus, this growing reputation that Jesus has in the surrounding community. I can imagine people saying he's here, he's back. Well, what's he going to read? What's he going to say? Maybe on that particular day, there were a few extra folks in the synagogue pressed in, waiting to see. This is Jesus. Jesus, we've, we've known for so long. What, what, what's the deal? What's he going to say? All these people are talking about him. So they're all gathered around, waiting and watching. And then Jesus stands up to read. And the attendant hands him the scroll of Isaiah, and he, and he unrolls it, and he, he scans, and he looks for the text that he wants to preach on and read in his hometown. And this is what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, the people in the synagogue that day would be familiar with this text. It's a text about the Messiah. It's a text about the anointed one, the one who would come to deliver God's people from exile and bondage and bring about the full kingdom of God. The people in the synagogue on this day were hopeful for a Messiah to come. That they had longed for the Messiah to come, been waiting and expecting for the Messiah to come. And it had been 400 years since they'd really heard a word from the Lord. 400 years since the last of the prophets spoke the word of God. And God had essentially been silent to his people, but they still longed, they still expected. And as they read out of Isaiah this morning, this time when Jesus reads from this, they know that this text is about that Messiah that they so longed for. God has essentially been silent for some 400 years, but there are rumblings in Israel and they've made their way up to Nazareth. Something's going on. So Jesus reads this text. Then he sits down to explain it. And everyone is watching with bated breath. What is Jesus going to say? And in verse 21, it says this, and he began to say to them today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is a mic drop moment. I mean, Jesus is like, boom, like the people would not that we could read this and think, I mean, what's the big deal about this? But what Jesus is essentially saying, why the people would see this as a big deal is what he's saying. What he's just said is the long awaited Messiah, the rescuer, the restorer of God's people. That's me. That's me. But that's not all he communicates. Jesus doesn't just sit down and explain the text and say, hey, the guy that Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah, that's me. That's not all Jesus says. He says, I am the Messiah King who Isaiah prophesied about. And all the promises he recorded, they are fulfilled in your hearing right here and now. I mean, that's a really crazy thing to say. For Jesus to roll into his hometown all these people that know him, that have watched him grow up, to read a text like this and say, today this is fulfilled in your hearing, that's a crazy thing to say. Unless, of course, it's true. So what in the world is Jesus talking about? 
He said this is fulfilled in your hearing today, but we have to understand no one around him suddenly had money or, or things that were once poor. No one was immediately let out of prison. No one was immediately healed when he read this text out of Isaiah or was able to see. No one in that immediate moment was no longer oppressed. So what is he talking about here? So we have to understand that the people of Israel were looking for and longing for a literal physical king and kingdom, a political revolution and a release from the oppression and the heartache that they'd experienced under foreign rule for so long. What Jesus announces here in in reading this text and declaring here is that he is the promised Messiah who has and will fulfill all the promises. He is the king and his kingdom has come. I can imagine in that moment there'd be a lot of a mix of emotions, both elation and confusion, excitement and suspicion. Like, this is what we've been waiting for. This is what we've been longing for. Is this really it? Is Jesus really this person? See, what we have to understand and what the people in this Nazareth synagogue needed to understand was that Jesus, in this moment, saying this was fulfilled in your hearing today, was flipping their expectations on their head. He was announcing something even more glorious than the arrival of a physical kingdom and physical freedom. See, what Jesus came to announce in this moment is an eternal kingdom and eternal freedom. So let's go back through and see what Jesus is talking about here. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Now, from our vantage point, we can read the gospel of Luke. We read part of it last week. And we can see the Spirit actively working in and through Jesus. The Spirit who descended on Jesus as he came up out of the water when he was baptized. The the Spirit who led Jesus into the wilderness and, and helped Jesus to fight against temptation. This very Spirit who led Jesus out of the wilderness. Jesus is full of the Spirit. But the difference here is that Jesus is making a public proclamation, a public declaration that has eternal ramifications and is full of hope. Jesus is saying, God's spirit is upon me and he has set me apart specifically and purposefully as his chosen one. He set me specifically apart, specifically apart for that purpose. Then what we need to understand from this statement is that Jesus is declaring in that moment, I am the promised one. I am the rescuer. I am the redeemer. I am the Messiah. I am the king you've been looking for and I've come to bring my kingdom. But the message and the power of the king and his kingdom is this, to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind, to proclaim liberty to the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And at face value, you might think, okay, yeah, I get that. Jesus came to heal and help people. And we know that to be true. We can read through the gospel accounts of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and we can see over and over again, Jesus caring for the poor We see Jesus literally restoring the sight of the blind. We see him cast out demons and evil spirits from those who are oppressed by them. But we have to understand that every time Jesus does one of these physical things, every time he heals someone, every time he casts out a demon, every time he ministers to the poor, he's preaching a sermon. And in that moment, he's saying, I am the king. And the reality of my kingdom is that the curse of sin and its effects will be overturned. I will make all things new. But what Jesus is saying here, what we can't miss is that it's so much more than the physical reality of what Jesus came to do. We see Jesus do all these things, but it's so much more in what he's saying here in Luke 4 as he preaches this sermon, as he says this is fulfilled and you're hearing right here, right now. 
what we see Jesus saying is this is a spiritual and eternal reality. This, this freedom that I proclaim over you. And it's a message that all of us here today need to hear and believe. See, Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, came to proclaim good news. He came to proclaim the gospel. And it says here that he came to proclaim that good news to the poor. Now, we need to understand something here. Jesus is not speaking here specifically about poor just in an economical sense. As one commentator says, this is talking more about a a diminished status of honor. It's for the outsider, the outcast, and the overlooked. And what Jesus is saying is here is important. He's saying, look, you may be overlooked by the world, but you won't be overlooked by me. Not in my kingdom. I came for you. Grace is for you too. It's not just for the elite. It's not for those who are well off. It's for everyone. It's for even you, the poor. Now, while Jesus isn't talking exclusively about the physically poor, I think something that's interesting here, and it's often the physically poor who understand their need for restoration the most. And because they understand their need, they're most likely to respond to Jesus' message and invitation. It's the rich of the world, those that are well off, that oftentimes think, man, I don't need a savior. I don't need restoration. I have everything I ever need, wanted, or desired. But what we see in this moment is that the good news of restoration and redemption, of healing and hope, is preached to everyone. But it's received by those who in their core understand the true reality of their own lives and hearts. That they're poor in spirit and in need of a Savior King. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus' good news message is for those who are truly in need at the most root level of our being. And that's all of us. That's all of us. All of us are poor in spirit. We can't fix ourselves. We can't make ourselves whole. We can't realize everything that God wants for us in our own lives. That's the reality of all our lives. But this message is only received by those who actually know that they need this. So let me ask you a question this morning. Do you know that you need Jesus today? That's both to those of us that don't yet know Christ and those of us that do know Christ. Do you know that you need Jesus today? Not just a time in your past, not just a time in your future, but you need him right now. And our world is so distracting. This area in particular can be so distracting, so focused on on visions of grandeur and, and elevated status and having it all together, at least appearing to have it all together. And so we fill our lives with various pursuits and passions, things to numb our hurt and our brokenness and attempts to overcome it. But in order for any of us to truly see our need for Jesus, in order for any of us to see his good news, we have to slow down enough to look at our lives and realize that we don't have it all together. And that's okay. Some of you need to hear that this morning. It's okay not to have it all together. Because it's when we recognize our poverty that we're actually able to partake of the riches of the grace that God offers us in and through Jesus, our King, our Savior, who has come and will come again. It's in Jesus we have rest. It's in Jesus we have peace, both now and forever. See, Jesus proclaims this message of freedom, this message of good news to the poor, but he also proclaims liberty and freedom to the captive and the oppressed and the recovering of sight to the blind. Because of the sin in this world we are in, this world is corrupted, it's it's corroding. 
And all of humanity has been held captive to sin and its effects. Over and over again, we choose self over others. We choose creation over the creator, our false kingdom over the one true kingdom of God. Second Corinthians chapter four tells us the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. We are a people who have all been wounded by wickedness. Many of us have experienced or are experiencing the effects of abuse in some form or fashion in our life. This world is filled with people who are broken and crushed by life's circumstances. Maybe that's you this morning. But here's the good news for you. Here's what Jesus says to you this morning is that he has come to make all things new. See, in this moment, as Jesus preaches this message in this synagogue to the people of Nazareth in his hometown, as he preaches it to you this morning, as he doesn't just come as prophet, though he does come as prophet. He comes as the deliverer of God's word, of God's message, proclaiming this good news. But he also comes as the very one who will actually bring it about. He is light and life and liberator. He is defender and deliverer. What we have to see here is that what Jesus proclaims he has come to do, he comes to do in a total comprehensive way. Not just in a physical sense, but in an eternal sense, in a spiritual sense. Jesus is stating very boldly and clearly to the Jews in Nazareth, sitting in this synagogue, and to you and me this morning, gathering as a local church here in Fairfax, Virginia, that he has come to bring ultimate social transformation and spiritual transformation. And he's doing that as the dawn of a new age and new era comes. And the place that that will be most seen, most realized is in a new community that he's creating. The very body of Christ, the church, God's people. See, as we walk around this world, as we deal with brokenness of this world and even in our own lives, we have to see very clearly that, that the change and transformation and freedom and healing and help that Jesus is proclaiming does not come about in the halls of the legislature or the room of a doctor's office or the couch of a psychologist. It happens in your heart and it happens and comes about in and through Jesus, our King, who says, freedom to you. I come to make all things new. In Ezekiel chapter 36, the prophet Ezekiel speaks to this reality. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 and 26. Ezekiel writes, I will sprinkle clean water on you, speaking from God as delivering God's word to us. He said, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Jesus in this moment is saying, I'm doing this new work. I'm here to do this. The time that all of God's people have longed for, have waited for, has come, and it's found in me. The year of the Lord's favor has come. Freedom is here. The kingdom and his the king and his kingdom are at hand. See, Jesus is sent not only to proclaim this message, but to actually bring it about. To actually bring it about. How would he be able to do this? How would he accomplish this? See, the Jews expected an earthly kingdom. They they expected an immediate physical deliverance from earthly oppression. A, a, A political kingdom established for them to be released from the oppression that they were in. But what Jesus preaches here is not a political manifesto for an earthly kingdom. This isn't his battle plan. This isn't let's rally in the street and march to the capital and take over. No, it was an announcement of the kingdom, a king and his kingdom 
that would only come through sacrifice and resurrection. See, the King of kings and the Lord of lords did not walk in a parade to the capital to sit on the throne. No, he walked alone on a road to a hill with a cross on his back. And he died a death he did not deserve to die alongside common criminals. That doesn't sound very much like the king that the people had been looking for. But that's good news to us this morning. Because Jesus is king and his kingdom is much bigger. And his kingdom is much more far-reaching than anything this world offers to us this morning. Whether that be safety or pleasure, comfort or riches, status, companionship, wholeness or peace. Jesus' kingdom is much bigger and much more far-reaching because Jesus' kingdom is eternal and unending. And the day he rose from the grave, he made that clear. And Jesus' kingdom is life and light, no more darkness and death, all the way to the very ends of the earth and down to the very core of who you are in your heart and your life. Last week, we talked about the reality of being able to overcome temptation in our own lives now because Jesus overcame temptation for us. And that's amazing news for us. It provides great hope for us as we live in this world. But we also recognize that in this life, it's not just a matter of overcoming temptation, but overcoming the reality of sin and the sin that still remains. Have you ever been to a broken down house? I mean, a broken down house. Maybe you watch Fixer Upper. Anybody watch Fixer Upper? My wife likes to watch Fixer Upper. Yeah, I saw some hands raised. Some people get fired up about Fixer Upper. <laughs> Chip and Joanne, you know what I'm talking about? You go into these broken down houses, right? And maybe there's some boards out of place or windows that are broken or paint that's peeling or a bathroom that doesn't work or leaky faucets or leaky pipes. It could be anything. We just look around and say, this is a broken down house. So I think if you and I are honest, our lives look a lot more like broken down houses than exquisite mansions. We like to think that we are an exquisite mansion. We like to put ourselves out there like that. This culture that we live in in Northern Virginia says that's what it needs to be about. Look like you have your life all together. Don't let anyone see the brokenness. But see, Jesus' kingdom, it's been inaugurated. Jesus has come to declare this. But what we very quickly realize is that this kingdom is not fully realized yet. And that's where the tension lies in this. Maybe you feel that tension this morning. You, you, you hear Jesus' message of freedom. You hear Jesus' message of hope. But in the reality of your own life, you say, man, I'm struggling. I just feel this tension here. We celebrate this good news of freedom. But we know that things aren't fully the way they should be in our own lives right now. We know that we feel like a broken down house. There's a room in our life. There's a part of our life that's just not the way that it should be or we want it to be. It's why Advent is a time of longing. It's a time of hoping because we long for Jesus to return. We long for him to finish the good work that he's begun. And so as we wait, as God's people here and now, as we wait in the reality of our own lives and just the mess that remains in our own lives, we can look at this sermon that Jesus preaches in Luke 4 and realize that in this sermon is our constant hope. It's our constant hope. Imagine yourself in a deep, dark prison cave. Your, your pupils are so dilated because you just long for a little bit of light and it never comes. And as you sit in this deep, dark prison cave, occasionally you hear the echo of faint voices in the distance that are saying, come out, come out. 
But after a while, they fade off into the distance or maybe they just get drowned out as background noise for you. You've been wearing chains around your wrists and your ankles for so long. They've become a part of you, essentially attached to your skin. And the idea of even removing them right now seems too painful for you. But then one day, the groanings of your companions in this, in this cave are overpowered, not by a faint voice in the dense distance, but a powerful voice that says to you, I have come to set you free. And at that, light shines in the darkness. And the shackles come undone, the chains break, and you are lifted up onto the back, being carried out of the only place you've ever really known as home. See, that's the reality of our lives. Sin has placed us in a prison and there is no way for you to get out on your own. And because you're so comfortable with that reality, if you're honest, you're not even sure you actually want to leave. But Jesus comes to proclaim liberty and freedom to you, to give you sight, to shine light into the darkness of your life, to restore you, to bring you into his kingdom and into his father's house. Now, many of us this morning have experienced the grace Of God in and through Jesus. We know that we've been set free. And that we are saved by grace. As we've placed our faith in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But many of us here this morning still find ourselves in bondage. We still find ourselves in captivity to sin in some way. Why is that? Why is that? I think part of the reason for that is because as you leave that prison cave, your companions around you are clawing at you, begging you to stay, saying, don't go. This is where you belong. This is who you are. And life with God can be hard at times. It can be painful at times as he molds you and changes you. And the voice of your past lovers sounds so good to you. And the comfort and familiarity of that cave seems so right and good and comforting and seems like home. And without those shackles around you, sometimes you just feel a little bit naked. And this has always been a struggle for God's people. The people of Israel struggled with this reality. They were set free from slavery in Egypt. But life, was, life with God wasn't always easy. God called them to follow him, to trust him, to rely on him. Even when they didn't know exactly where he was leading. Even though they didn't know exactly what he was doing at any given moment in time. What we see them doing is often longing to go back to Egypt, back to slavery. And you and I can do the same thing. We know the message of freedom that Jesus proclaims. But oftentimes we can think about the meat pots and bread of Egypt. And we think that's way better than the pain of change in my life right now. We can think my identity is a slave in Egypt anyway, so I'm just going to go back. And so we're drawn back to the homosexual community and lifestyle we've come out of. We're drawn back to the images on a computer screen. or to the substances that numbed us from pain. We're drawn back to toxic relationships or toxic ways of thinking. We're drawn back to hiding and pretending that we have it all together. We're drawn back to places of fear or anger or bitterness or pride or control. And we put those chains back on and we sit back down in darkness once again. And is that you this morning? Is that you this morning? Are you sitting down in darkness even though the message of freedom has been given to you in Christ? 
brothers and sisters, what I want you to be reminded of this morning in this season of Advent is the truth of Luke 4, that Jesus came to proclaim freedom and bring freedom to you and that you are free. So I think some of you need to hear that this morning because oftentimes you don't believe that to be true. You're sitting here this morning believing, no, I'm captive. I'm, I'm bound. I don't know what freedom looks like. Hear the message of Jesus this morning. You are free if you're in Christ. Because Jesus came to make all things new, and that includes you. All of you, head to toe, inside and out, heart and mind, all your wants and all your desires. Everything about you, everything about you, he came to redeem and deliver. And everything about you is redeemable and deliverable. He's begun that good work, and he will complete that good work. What does sin do to you? It completely captivates you. It affects every part of who you are. But Jesus came to release you from that power and that control. And you are no longer enslaved. You are no longer blind. You are free. He came to save, to restore, to make all things new to the uttermost. Hebrews tells us to the uttermost, which means that there is no one too far gone. Maybe you're sitting here this morning thinking, well, that sounds good for some people, but Jesus can't do that in my life. Jesus can't bring freedom in my life. No, Jesus can. He has and he will. This is our hope, even in the midst as we struggle right now. Listen to me this morning. His mercies are new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. He gives you enough mercy for the day that's ahead of you. Plenty of mercy for you. So don't sit down in darkness. Walk out of that cave. He proclaims freedom over you today. This is our constant hope, Sojourn. This is our constant hope as we live in this broken world. As we see Jesus doing this work in our life, we have to come back and know this to be true. That Jesus has come to proclaim freedom and good news to us. But this is not only our constant hope, it's also our continual mission. Because this world longs for And it promises the ability to be ultimately and truly free apart from Jesus. We can go back to one of those definitions. Freedom is the power or right, the right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. So the world says that's yours. That's yours to have experience ultimate and true freedom. But the personal freedom that this world promises to you is not truly freedom. All it is is moving from one part of the dark cave to another. Maybe you know people in your life right now who've never left that cave. They're, they're truly in bondage, truly in captivity to sin and darkness. And they need to hear where true freedom is, what true freedom is. Jesus tells us in Matthew 11 what that is. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Freedom and rest are found in Jesus Christ and him alone. And Jesus' declaration in Luke 4 is a declaration that demands a response. We can't ignore it. So where are you today? Honestly, where are you today? Are you, are you sitting In a dark cave with chains around you right now. Are you tired? Are you tired of trying to hold it all together? Or look like you have it all together? 
Listen, Jesus becomes your hope when you acknowledge that you are hopeless without him. He becomes your hope when you acknowledge the fact that you are hopeless without Christ. Will you call out to him today? Will you trust in him today? As one pastor says, Jesus will meet in love the needs of those who need God. Don't ignore your need. Christ has come to set you free. Brothers and sisters, who do you know in your life right now that needs to hear of the freedom that Jesus brings? Maybe it's someone who's never heard this before. Maybe it's a brother or sister in Christ that needs to be encouraged in this good news this morning. Who has God put on your heart, put on your mind right now that needs to hear this message of freedom that Jesus proclaims? Will you go and tell them the good news? That Jesus has come to proclaim good news to the poor. He's been sent to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Will you go to them? Will you share this message of hope with them? Sojourn, this is our constant hope. It's our continual mission. And this is why Jesus came. It's what we celebrate at Advent. It's what we long for him to complete when he comes again. He proclaims freedom and he is making all things new. And to that we say amen. As we come to the table this morning together, eating the bread and drinking the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And we do this every week because every week we need to be reminded of the freedom we have in Christ. We do this every week because When we walk out of here today, we're going to be challenged and to be distracted and and to believe lies that we don't have freedom, that we're still in bondage. We hear those voices calling us back to that dark cave. And so as we come and eat the bread and drink the cup this morning, we're reminded, we're refreshed in the very presence of Christ that his grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient to you for you. It's sufficient today, just as much as it was the first day you believed, just as much as it will be tomorrow and the days to come ahead. Freedom has been spoken over you. Freedom is what you have in Christ. And so as you eat this morning, as you drink this morning, be reminded of the truth of Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for you if you're in Christ. Jesus' body was broken for you. Jesus' blood was shed for you so that could be true for you. His grace is sufficient for you today. So brothers and sisters, as you eat and drink, walk away from that table in the freedom that is yours. It's yours. Don't believe the lies of this world. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. Don't believe the lies of your flesh. And let's encourage one another in the truth that Jesus proclaims freedom. And if you're not a follower of Christ, we just ask you not to come forward this morning to take communion. And the reason for that is not because this is we're trying to keep you away for some weird reason. The reason is because this doesn't really do anything for you. Unless you know Christ, we want you to take Jesus first. We want you to experience this freedom first. So would you turn today and cry out to God that he would give you his grace, that he would pour out his grace, his freedom on you that comes in and through Jesus. Turn away from your sin today and believe on Jesus today. And if you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ, to follow Christ, please come talk to me. I'll be down front after the service. Talk to anyone around you that's a part of this church. That's why Sojourn Church is here. It's because we want people to experience Jesus. We want people to walk in this freedom. So would you trust in Jesus today? We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to journey with you in this. Those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or head to the tables in the back. Tear off a piece of bread and take a small cup to drink. And what Jesus has done for you, for your freedom, for your forgiveness, will be spoken over you today. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for the fact that Jesus came very simply in that way, that Jesus came. He came as one of us to dwell among us, but he came to overcome temptation. He came to bring freedom. And so we thank you for that freedom. We thank you for the reality of what it means that Jesus has come, that he walked that road ahead of us to the cross to bear the weight of our sin, and he proclaims that good news over us this morning. So Lord, I just pray this morning that you would help us simply to walk in the freedom that's been given to us in Christ. Lord, I pray that my brothers and sisters here this morning would truly believe that they have been set free, that they are not bound, they are no, no longer captive anymore. They're not blind, their eyes have been opened, light has come. I pray they would walk out of here in freedom today and tomorrow and the next day. Help us as a church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to encourage one another in that, to remind one another that we're no longer bound, that we're no longer captive. And Lord, I pray that that would be our continual and constant hope as we walk in the darkness of this world, as we long for Jesus to come back. Lord, I pray it also be our mission, our continual mission to share that message of hope and freedom that we have in Christ to all the people around us that are in captivity right now. Lord, would you pour out your hope in this area, pour out your grace in this area, bring revival and awakening in this area for your glory in Fairfax and around this area, around this region, around this world. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you loved us enough to send your son to die for us. And now we are called sons and daughters. Help us to rest in that reality today. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.